let you in on a little secret. A great way to make sure that nobody listens to a particular episode of your podcast is to start it with Mike Vellucci is staying behind the Pittsburgh bench. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins, but you won't be listening to comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball i also offer well more compelling subjects than the assistant coach signing for two additional years which is what velucci did yesterday with all the usual platitudes expressed by the general manager in the accompanying press release no nobody cares and for that matter, probably not very many people know what it is that Vellucci does. And ever since the team grossly limited access, meaning media access to assistant coaches, as of a couple of years ago, we don't really know much about him personally either. And the pandemic's had something to do with that. But, you know, access is access. And when Rick Tockett was there... You knew everything about him, not just from his playing slash coaching days, but also from, you know, what it was that he had to say to us in interviews. Fun stuff. But here, the assistant coaches, both of them, well, I I should say now assistant coach and associate coach, since Vellucci's back and also Todd Reardon is back, but in his case with a promotion, Mike Sullivan's staff is set for the coming season. Not that there were ever any real hints that it wouldn't be, except maybe for one thing, and that's that Reardon got the promotion, as I mentioned in response to a J1Q on this last week. That had to have been done because the Penguins knew that he'd be in demand for other openings or potential openings around the NHL, in large part because of his head coaching experience in Washington and, of course, the success that he's had in Pittsburgh as an assistant, in particular working with defensemen like Chris Letang, Mike Matheson, and others, kind of finding ways for those guys to still produce a lot of offense while also performing responsibly in their own end. How many teams would have Spoken to Reardon, can't know, can't say. How many teams would have spoken to Vellucci? Well, he was known to have been a candidate for the opening in San Jose. And generally speaking, when that happens, you're probably a candidate for other openings as well, and maybe it just doesn't become public. What I would like to think is that in addition to Reardon, who I know to be, a, I think it's safe to call him an overqualified associate coach. It's hard to gauge what happened to him in Washington. Barry Trotz had a certain way of doing things. Barry Trotz led the Capitals to their only cup. Reardon came in after that, and it wasn't exactly the same situation in large part because Braden Holtby fell apart in goal. But Vellucci, really, again, really don't know that much about him. Maybe the thing that should stand out among all of this is that this team appears to have some really good minds back there. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across western Pennsylvania. 
They, in turn, need your help. Find out how $1 can be turned into five full meals. For those in need, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. I did talk on yesterday's episode about the value of experience among the players and about the knowledge that they take onto the ice and the awareness of what the other players will do, especially if they've got extensive experience with each other, as is obviously the case with Sidney Crosby, Jake Gensel, and Brian Russ on the first line to say. But there's also a lot of value in a coaching staff that knows what the heck it's doing. And I would say that if you go back over the last couple of regular seasons, go ahead, come at me with the lines about first round eliminations. It's all fair game. Never mind that it's blamed entirely on goaltending each of the past two seasons. If it's sitting there and it's factual, it's fair game. But I'll point out that the Penguins, when they had their people, were very good on the power play. Just as Reardon's responsible for running the defense core, meaning in-game, he's the one that's sending out the pairings at the other end of the bench, he's also the guy that's chiefly responsible for power play design, power play execution. It can be exasperating at times, especially when they don't feel like shooting or when they don't have a proper presence in front of the net, but Reardon usually finds a way to get them back to that. His philosophy doesn't deviate from yours, believe me, when you're sitting in a seat and crying out for them to shoot. Felucci's responsibility, and at the very top of that list, is the opposite. He's the PK guy, and the Penguins' PK has been pretty good under him. And it, it fell off, you'll recall, a little bit this past season after the trade of Zach Aston Reese, who was really, really good in that role, ace shot suppression guy. But for the most part, Volucci's been able to weather a loss of key guys at various times, including like lost from the roster, like Brandon Tanev, who was a really good PK guy. And he's been able to overcome situations like Teddy Bluger being gone for a long time to the broken jaw. What I've liked most about Volucci's coaching when it comes to the PK is that he hasn't had a one-size-fits-all approach to it. In other words, when he's out there deploying Brian Boyle, he's not going to put Boyle in a chaser role. He's going to put Boyle in the center of the rink and let somebody else do the skating around because Boyle could use his reach and block shots and whatever else. You get the idea. Uh, that's the sign I've always said of a good coach, regardless of sport, regardless of level. Always coach to the players that you have, not to the players that you wish you had. No one needs anybody to do a dissertation on Sullivan. He's the guy that you pay attention to. He's the guy that you hear every day, and he's the guy that you know about, obviously, way, way, way more than the rest of them. I like the staff. And by the way, I'm going to point out something here. It won't be all that popular. I did acknowledge how these gentlemen have succeeded in the regular season, but I'm going to remind you that when they got to the playoffs and they faced the Rangers, who'd end up going to the Eastern Conference Final, they built up a 3-1 series lead despite having not just an AHL goaltender, but crappy AHL-level goaltending 
from Louis Domingue. That they were that close adds to the frustration, and I get that, but it's also... I was about to say feather in a cap and everybody's really going to bite my head off. But it's to the credit of the coaches that it even got to that point. Okay, there, I'll say it. Go ahead and get mad at me. When we come back, J1Q. Today's J1Q comes from Ed... And he says, DK, off topic, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are of the Three Ice Hockey League. I didn't even know that it existed until I stumbled upon the finals this weekend. It was fun, exciting to watch, and even faster than the NHL. Brian Trottier and Joey Mullen were head coaches of the two teams. I think the NHL could incorporate some of the rules to take the thuggery slash dirty play out of the league. Nah, they would never do that. A goalie who can go anywhere is enticing, adds another element. Think of Flower doing it. Ed, I hear you, my man. I have not laid eyes on this product, including when it was in Pittsburgh. Taylor Haas, our Penguins beat writer, was there covering that for us. I don't even really know what it is. I do know that I read her article and saw some familiar names, but not anybody that would be a gate attraction of any kind. I will say this. I find the three-on-three overtimes in the NHL almost without exception to be just so dull. And you know which ones I'm talking about, because this would not be one that would be, say, between the Avalanche and the Lightning, okay, where you have two teams that just have this attacking mentality, and they're just going to go for it, and you're going to see end-to-end Nate McKinnon and Steven Stamkos. The overwhelming majority of these things are a snooze fest. Ever since Everyone figured out how to do the Phil Kessel thing. You know what I'm talking about. Play doesn't look good in the offensive zone. You're up high, and you don't like what you see, and you go, eh, I'm just going to go for a skate. That's what Phil would do, and Phil would go all the way back to the Pittsburgh blue line, restart and regain the zone, kind of have a clean slate for himself, but it's so boring. And now... It's almost like football in the sense that it's just a possession game. That's what Sullivan was saying about it late in the regular season. It's become more a matter of who gets the puck, who holds on to it the longest. Well, when you've only got six total skaters on the rink, you've got a lot of free ice out there. You've got a lot of free ice even if you don't do the fill thing, if you hang out in the attacking zone. And if you don't want... To make a play, you don't have to. And I'm going to say it again. That's boring. If it sounds like I'm about to put forth some kind of idea for that to be changed, maybe the thing that you do is not let teams feel so casual about carrying it back over the attacking blue line. How do you do that? Well, this is going to sound a little awkward, but at least it's better than nothing. You just don't let them do it. You just say, hey, that play's dead. If the other team pokes it away from you and it goes out over the line, that's something. That's different. That's just a clean play. 
But if you carry it backward, play just gets blown dead and you have a face-off. So you would resume having that tension, that uncertainty that goes with bringing the puck back across. The last thing you ever want to do in the world's fastest game, this beautiful game, is to encourage people to go backward. That's the New Jersey Devils mentality of the 1990s and the early 2000s. Backward isn't interesting. Backward isn't anything that puts anyone on the edge of their seat. I do like three-on-three hockey in the NHL. I do know of the results, the cold, hard results that show that it's produced more outcomes and anything's better than a tie or a shootout in that regard. But there's also a part of me that wonders if it wouldn't be better off at four-on-four the way overtime originally was. No, there weren't as many outcomes, but it sure looked a heck of a lot more like actual hockey. And maybe if you just threw on another minute or two, and coaches in turn wouldn't just limit the usage in overtime to the same five or six guys, you'd you'd have something. You'd have more overtime goals, but you'd also have something that doesn't look like some bastardization of your sport. I appreciate the question. I know it's not what you asked. I'm sorry. I've just never seen it. I'm not sure that I want to. We'll do another one of these tomorrow.